Hello and welcome to another episode of the Harrogate Podcast with me, Andrew Gray. Join the Harrogate Podcast. It's my job to interview and deconstruct the movers and shakers in this Harrogate bubble in which we live and work. Today, folks, we're lucky to have with us Peter Campbell. Now, Peter Campbell is many things and I will try to list them, although I will ask him to describe himself in just a moment. Peter is a consultant orthopaedic surgeon, but that's not the end of the story. For the last nine years or so, he's run a business called Life Without Limits. I would describe him as a sort of health coach, a leadership coach, and also a consultant orthopaedic surgeon. Quite a mix. Peter, thank you very much for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, Andrew, and thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. You always look really healthy, annoyingly healthy, I'd say. Um, it's a good job this is more like radio than it is TV. Now, I've given it a go of trying to describe what it is you do, who you are. I haven't nailed it. Can you describe what you do for our listeners. Thank you. Do you know, I think one of the things I've described myself as, first of all, being very fortunate. I've been fortunate enough to carve out for myself uh, a career in which I can do the things that I enjoy, but have the flexibility uh, to have some control over that. So you're absolutely right. My career stems from being a consultant orthopaedic surgeon in the, in the NHS, a career that goes back almost 25 years now. Um, And during that time as clinical director, being exposed to some leadership positions, I experienced firsthand the challenges of leadership and benefited hugely from some personal coaching uh, through that time, which led to a real passion for me to become a coach. So I did my coaching qualifications, um, was able to do some executive leadership coaching um, and was thoroughly enjoying that and continue to enjoy that part of my career. Um, as you've alluded to over the last decade, through some personal health challenges, um, I've been able to um, evolve my career so that I am much more now uh, passionate about not just orthopaedic surgery, but also lifestyle medicine and the benefits that we all can have from understanding how lifestyle impacts on our health and what we can do to optimise our health over time. Now, I have the pleasure of training medics to be medical legal experts and I've instructed over the years thousands of doctors to give me reports on my sort of clients injuries and and so on but I can't remember ever meeting a consultant orthopedic surgeon who leaves NHS and becomes a health type coach could you explain to our listeners how you really made that leap because you you left the NHS two and a half years ago or so I think I think you still do some private work but that's you know, sure, you mentioned you touched upon the leadership co- coaching that you've experienced yourself, but it seems like you needed much more of a road to Damascus experience, a, a moment where the penny dropped and you said, well, there's a bit more to this medicine malarkey than you know, just x-rays and the like. You're absolutely right, Andrew, and I think that for a lot of people, like myself, it's your own personal experience that really counts. So whilst I thoroughly enjoyed the coaching element uh, of my career and enjoyed helping people on a one-to-one basis. My personal experience of some health challenges over the last 10 years was that traditional healthcare, traditional medicine really didn't seem to be helping me. And, and it was that experience that led me to explore more natural, complementary lifestyle approaches to improving my health. And my health was changed dramatically by taking some very simple steps and taking those steps and incorporating them to my daily lifestyle uh, and, to, and making them into daily habits. And what struck me was how I could go through five years at medical school, 
go through five years of surgical training and nearly 25 years of being a consultant and not be exposed to some of the fantastic benefits that lifestyle can have to our general health. And I became quite passionate about trying to share that message uh, with other people. So through some additional training, uh, through some additional qualifications, I have been able to combine my orthopedic training and experience with my coaching experience, uh, with my newfound passion for helping everyday people improve their lifestyle and actually perhaps in some small way perhaps save the NHS from its burden of chronic disease uh, because most chronic diseases, uh, certainly 50% of our disease burden across the world and in the UK, 50% is due to environment and lifestyle causes which is an incredible amount. We often imagine that disease is due to infections and bacteria or uh, genetic mistakes but actually over 50% of our illness burden is down to environment and lifestyle. So we can do something about this. Do the Americans call this, is it upstreaming? Is that how the Americans refer to it? Where you see someone like yourself so that you don't get poorly, essentially that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, absolutely. What we want to try and do is, I mean the NHS is a fantastic organisation, sure. fantastic institution and uh, I remain very loyal and still treat, and majority of my patients I still treat on the NHS. Um, the trouble is the NHS cannot deliver everything that we expect from it as a society. It cannot deliver on-the-spot emergency care for all of our emergency needs, as well as deliver on-the-spot elective care for our more routine needs, as well as the latest state-of-the-art drugs and cancer treatments and investigations. I think that increasingly people want to take some responsibility for their own health. But unfortunately, they're not sure how to do that because of the confused messages that are out there. Um, so my passion is about empowering people through the right education to make the right choices about having a better, healthier future for them and their family. All sounds great. But what do your former colleagues, or maybe current <laughs> colleagues in a way, in some senses, what do they think of you? Do you think you're all a bit wacko? That, you know, has he been smoking something? Because uh, the doctors I know are generally quite dismissive. Anything that they can't necessarily say that has a definite research, evidence-backed yeah. report yeah. behind it from some learned professor or, or team. What do they think of you? So... Yeah, most of them, I think, probably think I have gone a little bit weird. Some of them may have thought I was always a little bit weird, of course, <laughs> and that, that, uh, that may well be true. Um, interestingly, some of the conversations I've had that actually some of my colleagues are, are more open-minded than you might think. It's just that it's not their bag. They perhaps haven't had the same experiences that I have had, been exposed to the same people that I've been exposed to. Um, and their passions remain doing what they do. For me, I got to the point where I needed something else other than replacing hips and knees, which I love doing, don't get me wrong. And it, it, those joint replacement surgery is a very rewarding operation for me as the surgeon and for the patients, and I, and I love doing that. But I needed and knew I could contribute to the health of people in a, in a more holistic way, in a different way. Um, so, so that's what I have become passionate about. And... And actually, there is an increasing movement uh, of doctors who are 
growing in confidence and in their ability to articulate the benefits of lifestyle medicine, uh, the benefits of functional medicine, the importance of gut health, the importance of nutrition, the importance of sleep, the importance of managing our stress, the importance of regular exercise. And that's not just going down to the gym, but that might be just taking a 20 minute walk in the park and the importance of nature and getting out into more natural environments. The impact of some of those simple things can be dramatic if we implement them consistently over time. I agree with all of that, but how do you do it with your clients? You know, how do you function? Do you have a monthly meetings with people? Yeah. Uh, you know, how, what, do you perform any tests on them? So we, have, we, we work really closely with the clients that come to us uh, for help around improving and optimizing their health with lifestyle changes. The key thing for us is to work with people over a period of time um, because actually what we're looking for is to help people embed some simple changes. But it doesn't matter how simple those changes are, they often require some support because breaking any habit and getting into a new one is tough in our busy hectic lifestyles. So we work with people um, for a minimum of three months. Uh, we work them on a one-to-one -one basis. Uh, we will um, have conversations uh, with them that can be face-to-face -face or it can be online, Zoom and Skype calls with them on a fortnightly basis. Uh, we do a comprehensive assessment of their lifestyle. Um, and then depending upon what their goals, their targets are, um, what their needs may be, we will then work with them to incorporate maybe just a few small changes initially and then as they become embedded uh, and become ingrained, we will then build on that and evolve that. So we absolutely work with people on a one-to-one -one basis over a period of time. This is all about building trust, building relationships and helping people be successful in the long term. And you can't do that on a one-off meeting in my experience. Sure, Peter, you keep saying we, we, we. Now I know <laughs> who the we refers to, but I, I think the listeners would want to know yes. who the we are, because that's an interesting story in itself. It is, so you're absolutely right. The we is um, myself and my wife, uh, Nikki. So um, it was Nikki's experience uh, through the NHS as a nurse, uh, and then also um, becoming a personal trainer, uh, sports massage therapist, therapist and nutritional coach 10 years, uh, that encouraged me to explore that side of um, natural and complementary therapy when I was going through my health challenges. So I very much owe my Damascus moment to the quiet influence of, uh, of Nikki, encouraging me to break free from the shackles of traditional medicine uh, and all that that can offer to recognising that there are other ways of promoting good health. And now Nikki and I work very much together. So the Life Without, Min Life Without Limits is a partnership between myself and Nikki in terms of the coaching that we provide and the expertise that we provide. Now my wife's a lawyer and I know she has no intention of ever working with me. I would work with her, I would say. <laughs> but I know in Harrogate, an area district, there's many a couple that work together, sometimes very well, sometimes not so. Do you have any top tips that you would dare share with us as to how it can be harmonious at home and at work? So really good question. And it's been a journey, uh, undoubtedly. So I think uh, for us, I would certainly say that the key for us is being prepared to give it time. Um, because when I be, started to work part-time, um, and Nikki and I started working more closely together, it was a big change uh, for us both. 
So we had to give it time and we also had to ensure that we had really honest, respectful communication. Uh, so that when we were rubbing each other up the wrong way, which in the early days we did quite frequently, and it was mostly me getting under her feet, um, but when that happened, we have to be able to have a clear conversation uh, and find uh, the, how that relationship works. I think that we would look back over the last couple of years and say that our relationship is stronger because we are now working together uh, rather than detrimental. So it has been, for us personally, um, of huge benefit. And it's great to have somebody who, for me anyway, and for Nikki, it's great to have someone who's not only your life partner, but is actually your business partner as well. I'm sure it works for the clients as well to have two sort of medically trained people who are now in the sector. So she was a nurse for however many years, was Nikki? Oh, so uh, Nikki was a nurse for probably 20 years within the NHS before she uh, spent the last 10 years uh, working in health, but outside of the outside of the NHS. So when your clients engage with you, they get a lot of experience between the two of you, very much so. Do you have any sort of examples of people that you work with who've no doubt improved their health and their well-being because they've worked with you guys? So we've got, um, and obviously confidentiality aside, we have been fortunate to work with a, with a number of people over the, over the last couple of years. And um, we have people ranging from chief executives to uh, single sole traders who may be working in as, uh, as business coaches, for example, uh, or business owners of small to medium uh, businesses. Um, and what we're finding is that these people are, they, they understand the value of good health. Uh, they are professionals, uh, they understand some of the basics around good health, but they are so busy that they don't have time to implement the things that they know. Uh, or they don't understand and know which way to go because there's so much confusing information out there. Um, so we've been able to work with those individuals uh, across that range and find some really exciting improvements in their health. And that can be for some people weight loss, that can just be more energy, more focus, um, that can just be uh, having better um, ability to prioritise family time and the personal time. Uh, and being able to get the stress levels down a little bit by understanding some of the things that may be triggering uh, the stress responses and being able to understand how they can cope and manage with those. So we work with people in a wide variety of different ways. And for us, that's really rewarding to see those individuals uh, start to report feeling better and feeling uh, those benefits. I should declare to our listeners that we know each other because I suppose I'm one of your clients in, in a sense, in a sort of loose way. And I've had some health challenges and I needed a, a boost. And you make the point about uh, people perhaps who run their own businesses like me. We don't have sick pay. When we're off, Absolutely. we're not paid. Yeah. And sure, life's busy and responding to email, social media and so on whilst running business and obviously the family commitments as well. Yeah, I'm aware of some of the things I should do with my health, but I never always have the time to, you know, look after it. And, you know, lo and behold, I get ill, really ill, off work for five weeks and lost however much for mm. those five weeks off work. So by upstreaming, making sure that we're I'm not... And people like me aren't in those positions, it seems very worthwhile work indeed. 
Now, do you have any sort of easy wins, any easy takeaways that you could give away for free to those listening to this podcast? You know, what are simple things that we should be doing? I know it's a bit trite, but go on. No, I think there are. So for me, I think, and I'm just picking up on the point that you mentioned before, I think you're absolutely right. People who are self-employed um, take their health very seriously, but only when they're un- unwell, yeah. uh, not when they are well. Um, and I think one of the things that we're able to do because we work closely with people over a period of time is to ensure that they have some accountability for making the changes that they have known probably for some time they need to make, but don't prioritise them. It's interesting how when you are working with someone, and whether that be a business coach or a health coach, and actually you are paying them for their services, how much more accountable you become for taking the action that you knew was common sense but never really took before. So that element of gentle accountability is, is also really, really important. But free tips, absolutely. We love giving things away for free. I think there are three key areas that we generally find that we focus on with our clients, at least in the first, uh, first phase of the time we work with them. One of the things is about nutrition. Um, we are often, it's often said we are what we eat. Um, the reality is that we are what we absorb, of course, because no matter what we eat, if our gut health isn't up to strength, then we're not going to absorb those nutrients. So we often work with people to get around and improve their gut health. So, so some simple things around improving your gut health is, is a making sure you're well hydrated, making sure you're drinking plenty of water throughout the day, and just monitor how much caffeine you're drinking. And I'm not saying there's a right or wrong in terms of the amount, but just become aware of how much water you're drinking as opposed to how much caffeine you're drinking. Um, And that would be one of the key steps. The other key step I would say around nutrition is to just monitor how much sugar you're taking. I think that for too long, we have been led to believe that our health is dependent on eating a low fat diet. And I think for a lot of people, the issue is not how much fat you eat. Um, The issue is how much sugar you eat. And actually, for a lot of products which are low in fat, they are very high in sugar in order to compensate for the taste. And what types of sugar are there? So, so, so a lot of people, um, obviously the easiest thing is how much sugar do you take in your tea or, or whatever, but actually sugar is hidden in so many different things. So sugar is hidden in a lot of processed foods that, that we may eat. And of course, when you're a busy executive, then actually reaching for something that's more convenient may make sense in terms of time saving, but is that really going to give you the nutrition that you need to do the job that you need to do. So um, just being mindful of, of the hidden sugars, but also mindful of you know, how many times are you reaching for a packet of crisps? How many times are you reaching for, um, uh, for bars of chocolate? How, how much potato, bread, um, rice and pasta uh, are you eating during the week? I'm not saying that those things are harmful, but there is a balance. And actually, absolutely eating more vegetables is really, really key. So think about the hidden sugars, drink plenty of water, and just be aware of how much caffeine you're taking. I'm conscious I've had no water in this last hour that we've been, uh, we've been chatting. And I'm halfway down my glass. You are. And I've only had one cup of tea today. And I think maybe you're perhaps had more than me. Um, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question, but I'll okay. throw it to you anyway. That's fine. Far away. What did you make of, sort of the gluten-free diets? You know, are more people 
gluten intolerance than there was, was in the past? If so, why? Is it just one of those new fads like you know reducing your fat and so on? What, what's your take on the gluten so question? Your my take on that, and you're absolutely right. There is an increasing uh, awareness of gluten intolerance, and my experience is that there are increasing numbers of people who are expressing that gluten um, does upset them in some way, and I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think one of the reasons is that uh, as a society we are over-reliant on processed foods um, and there's often gluten within that processed food content uh, that we may not be aware of. But actually what's really interesting if you look at the history of wheat um, in this country and across the world is that wheat has changed significantly over the last couple of hundred years. So the type of wheat that we grow now have significantly higher gluten concentrations than they did two, three hundred years ago. So not only are we getting more gluten inadvertently in our diet, but there's more gluten in the wheat that, we, that we're eating. Um, and gluten is a difficult substance for our bodies to metabolize. And I think that if we are overwhelming our gut with, an, with a product which it finds difficult to uh, metabolize and to deal with, then that inevitably will cause issues, particularly around inflammation, low level inflammation. And I think what most people are experiencing is low level inflammation of the, of the digestive system and the impact that that then has throughout their body. Um, so, so I think there are a number of reasons why gluten intolerance has changed. I think it's more prevalent in processed food but actually the gluten content of wheat itself has actually changed significantly over the last few generations. You dealt with that one expertly as I thought you would. I've got a more trying one though. Okay, keep rank racking it up. Veganism, so that okay. is all the rage, particularly in a hurry. I think I went to a vegan yeah. restaurant for lunch. Yeah. A joke I heard about vegans, and I'll say it because it's not a rude one, is how do you know when you've met a vegan? It's because they've already told you three times. Now. You're not laughing at that joke. It wasn't my best joke, but veganism I'm, as I'm a... I'm being politically correct. You are being politically correct. Now, I have a, um, personally a lot of um, friends who are moving to veganism or was it free, whatever it is, the halfway house or whatever. Um, you know, surely humans have eaten meat for you know, all our 80,000 years or so. What's your take on veganism, if I can put you on the spot? Uh, so I absolutely respect the decision that any individual would want to take as to how they, how they uh, fuel their body um, based on their beliefs, based on their ethics, based on, the, based on their personal values. And I absolutely respect that. Um, and I, I know that lots of vegans have very strong views and understandably so about uh, animal welfare and how animals are looked after across the farming and whether we're doing enough to be able to protect uh, the welfare of animals and, that, and I absolutely get that and understand that. There is some debate and I certainly don't have the answer but there is some debate around whether veganism is healthy in the longer term and I think we need to be open-minded about that. Um, I think veganism is becoming more popular for a number of different reasons um, and I think we just need to be careful that we don't mix ethical beliefs which are absolutely valid with the inherent nutrition that our bodies have needed for millennium as humans. Um, 
we need protein, we need fat, um, and we probably need a small amount of carbohydrate. Um, and we get that from real food. So my message is that people need to focus on eating real food rather than packaged food. And if you are omitting a key macronutrient, such as not having meat, for example, and therefore potentially not having protein-dense foods, you have to have a strategy as to how you're going to replace that if you are a vegan. Um, and if you're comfortable with that strategy uh, and you enjoy good general health on that strategy, then that's absolutely great. But you need to have a strategy as to how you're going to replace the protein that you're not having from other food stores. And while supplementation clearly has a role, it can't, you know, it, we have to live by food first. Um, and I think what may be more of a concern is when more than adults move into veganism is what the impact of long-term veganism may be on children um, who are still growing. And I think that is an unknown question. Um, but your point is well made that we are, as humans, designed to be omnivores. We are designed functionally to be able to metabolise a wide range of different foodstuffs. Great answer. Changing tack somewhat, Peter, we met networking, I think, in, in Weatherby some we time did. ago. And we, we, we clicked and have gone ever since. What tips do you have for people going around the networking circuit of Harriet? Should they? And if so, how to go about it? And by the way, this is a question I ask pretty much everybody on the podcast. So I have to say that having come from uh, an NHS background, I had very little experience of true business networking. Yes, of course, we would network within our orthopaedic fraternity at conferences and things, but true business networking was something that was uh, not something I had ever been exposed to. And that's been an interesting learning curve over the last couple of years as I've moved to working for myself and working part-time in my clinical practice. And it's absolutely something that I would encourage anybody who is a business owner uh, or running a small business to be involved in uh, because it has been hugely enlightening, rewarding and an enjoyable experience for me. The key thing for me, I think, is that it's opened my eyes to how many fascinating people there are out there undergoing fascinating journeys, doing some really interesting stuff that I just didn't know existed um, beyond two years ago. And I like nothing better than understanding somebody's journey from where they started to where they are now and their future aspirations. For me, networking is all about contribution. It's all about uh, building a relationship and trying to work out how you can contribute to help somebody along their journey, knowing that in the fullness of time, karma will ensure that you will have that repaid. And coming from a health background, I enjoy going to networking with a sense of contribution because that fits very much with my, uh, with why I went into healthcare in the first place. So absolutely, for any listeners who are unsure about networking, I would say absolutely give it a go. There's there are a lot of networking groups around the Harrogate surrounding area in, in Yorkshire and it may take a while for you to find the group that fits with your business or fits with your personal style um, but there are plenty of people around and I'm sure you've interviewed many um, on your podcast who I know would be happy to give people advice and guidance around networking. That's been one of the things that has 
I have found fascinating for a number of people who've been happy to help me on my journey. What a great answer. So you've not said don't go to this one, do go to that one. That's diplomatic as well. There's a, there's a job in the Foreign Office awaiting you. Peter, finally, which habits do you have that you need to break? Go on, be honest with us. There must be some ones. Or maybe you've ironed them all out of this. Two uh, habits, no, okay. No, no, there are, there are too many. I'm, I'm oh, too many. Too, too many. And sometimes... Doctors make the worst patients, in my experience. So uh, taking our own advice is not always um, top of our priority. And lawyers make the worst clients. <laughs> yes, I, I can understand. Uh, so the, the the habits that I need to break, um, the first one is probably relaxation time. I find it really hard to switch off. I... Um, I always need to be doing something. And if I'm not achieving something, I don't feel as though I'm feeling productive. And I will too often tie in whether I've achieved, tick something off my to-do list um, in order to kind of validate my day in some way. So, So I've had to work really hard over the last year or two at being better at having some proper downtime, at relaxation, at probably being present particularly when I'm not at work so trying to learn that when I'm with the family uh, even when I'm taking the dog out for a walk am I present at that moment in my head or is it that I'm thinking about the meeting I'm due to be having later on that afternoon so I am so that's work in progress but I am much better now at ensuring that I am present and the saying goes that wherever you are be present um, and, and that's the same whether you're with the kids, with your partner or at work. Um, and I think that can be really difficult for busy business owners, professionals who are often pulled in several different directions. The other key thing that I struggle with is that I'm a bit of a nightbird. So I find my energy as I get towards half past 10, 11 o'clock in the evening. Wow. And You're the only person to be interviewed who said that everyone else is an early riser, pretty much. Well, I often find that I do need to get up early, um, but then I struggle because I'm not really getting enough sleep um, until eventually I crash. So again, one of the things that I have had to start putting in place is ensuring that I have a proper nighttime routine to get myself to bed earlier. My journey over the last 10 years has taught me that there's nothing brave, there's nothing no bravado or ego around having four hours sleep when you clearly need more and there is plenty of evidence out there to say that we need as adults probably a minimum of seven hours sleep a night somewhere between seven to eight hours and preferably at least one of those hours should be before midnight if not more and if we are consistently getting less than seven hours sleep within a 24-hour period, that will have, over time, significant health consequences. So my learning and the habit I continually try to is to make sure that I have a proper nighttime routine that means I'm winding down from electronic devices. Um, I'm not getting wound up by reading newspapers or listening to news bulletins late at night. I have a relaxation uh, time with the family uh, time with Nikki when we can quietly unwind and for the at least half an hour, 45 minutes before we head up that we are heading in that bed. So the body knows that we're getting ready for bed and sleep for that rest, recovery and repair. So they're the two things for me. What a good way to end. 
Peter, how do our listeners get in touch with you? So, um, really easy to uh, get in touch with us. They can uh, go to our website uh, and uh, lwlgroup.co.uk. They can contact me directly at peter at lwlgroup.co.uk or they can find me on LinkedIn. Super. Thank you very much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure, Andrew. Thank you once again for the invitation.